0: is up everybody welcome back to another episode of the arnie's we are three rich kids that desperately want some spider blood with nothing better to do i'm matt johnson and paul giamatti as rhino is simply my favorite
1: film character of all time i'm keith baker and sorry i was late guys i had to clean the chimney and i'm austin terry and i'd like to set my theme song as the ringtone for my phone on today's show we're continuing our lead-in to spider-man no way home a couple months ago, we talked about Tobey
0: Maguire and Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. So today, it's time for our tall, lanky, web-slinging prince, Andrew Garfield. But before we get to that, Austin, what other episode should the audience be checking out?
1: Yeah, well, if anybody is desperately missing Halloween, we got you covered. Because two weeks ago, we put out our Halloween bracket. We had all the different Halloween subgenres in there. and Then we simply decided, the best Halloween movie for 2021. And then last week, we returned to the MCU and checked out the Chloe Zhao-directed Eternals, and we broke down, is Superman officially part of the MCU? We
0: really did. Lots of good stuff out there, so go check that out. But, my guys, I have to say, and also now we're talking about this briefly before we got on, but I think today's going to be an interesting episode, because I feel like all of our best conversations, like, there's a checklist, okay? When we're talking about divisive stuff, check. That's always fun. When we're talking about stuff that came out a while ago and we haven't seen in a while, so maybe our thoughts change, always fun to see what you guys think. Check. We have no idea what the three of us are going to think of these movies. Check. Keith and I love the Raimi films. Austin appreciated them, but wasn't that big. So are we going to like become fans of this in real time? I have no idea. Check. I can't wait to
1: get into this episode. And when Austin has a differing opinion from the other two going in, check. It's a good one. It's a good one. You never know what Austin's gonna do. (laughs) But (laughs) with that, let's go
0: ahead and get into the main topic for today's show. Tobey Maguire and Sam Raimi committed to more Spider-Man films after Spider-Man 3 in 2007. After Raimi and Sony couldn't agree on a release date for 2011 Spider-Man 4, Raimi walked away, and Sony decided to fast-track a reboot before they lost the rights to Marvel. A year later, we got the amazing Spider-Man with director Mark webb hot off the indie hit 500 Days of Summer and Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker hot off his big break with 2010's The Social Network. In 2012, the reboot came out to relatively positive reviews, mostly for Garfield and Emma Stone's chemistry. That same positive came alongside the sequel two years later. Unfortunately, with that positive came several negatives akin to Raimi's Spider-Man 3, too many characters, and a convoluted plot. And with that, the Amazing Spider-Man franchise found themselves in a similar position. The team in front of and behind the camera wanted to make more films and spin-offs. But the sequel was met with mixed reviews and an all-time low box office performance for the Spidey franchise. That led to the reboot in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but that, my friends, is a discussion for another time. Let's break down exactly what worked and what didn't about the Mark Webb, Andrew Garfield, and Emma Stone Spider-Man films. Austin and Keith, give me your brief history with, as well as your general thoughts, on this version of Spider-Man.
1: Yeah, for me, I mean, I saw The Amazing Spider-Man in theaters. And I really enjoyed it. I had a good time. I was looking around like, wow, that was really good, right? And nobody else in the theater enjoyed it. I was definitely in the minority for this franchise. And I actually realized while watching The Amazing Spider-Man 2, I had never seen this movie. Oh, so this is my first oh, time whoa. going into this episode. And just as for my general thoughts, I love Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man. I think he has so much fun. He looks like he's having fun as the character. I also really like his Peter Parker. I really like his relationship with Gwen. I think Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are the best parts of these films. I think where Andrew really got the shaft is with his villains. Um, They just didn't have a good story to go around his conflicts. But I think all the Spidey content that you get from Andrew Garfield and these movies is really fun, really engaging. And um, I think these are a a bit overlooked, I guess, how I feel going into this episode.
2: For me, yeah, I saw both these movies in theaters. And I got to say, I couldn't remember anything from the first one. I think I only remember the second one. I remember Jamie Foxx's Electro. I'm, I do remember liking Jamie Foxx's Electro, and that's about it. So, going into these rewatches, I actually had a pretty good time with them more than expected, because I kind of remember leaving the theater both times, just kind of okay about them And then that was it. I never saw him again. Going into this time, I got to agree with a lot with Austin said. I, I think I did appreciate Andrew Garfield as Spider Man. Did I appreciate him as Peter Parker as much? I don't know. That's still up for debate with me. I don't have a definite answer yet, but hopefully you guys can help me out as we go along here with our breakdown. But the story, I think, was a lot, lot more well-written than I remember. Um, and I think I do agree with you what you said, Austin. I think they are a little bit overlooked. And I left these rewatches with a little bit more appreciation for the Andrew Garfield Amazing Spider-Mans.
1: Wow. Wow. Welcome. Welcome, Keith. Welcome to the Andrew Garfield fan club. Well, don't don't go too far, Austin. <laughs> He's not ready to commit yet.
2: I got some flaws, but... Keith's
0: not ready to commit, just like Andrew Garfield isn't sure if he should commit to Gwen in Amazing Spider-Man 2. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I was, I guess, closer to Keith, obviously, and I definitely wasn't a fan of the first one like Austin was. I think this was actually... I mean, this came out in like July 2012, so this would have been like one of the last movies we saw together before I went to college, and I, I certainly didn't hate it, it's just that... I was like, there was so much buildup. I was excited about Mark Webb and Andrew Garfield doing it. Of course, in the back of my mind, I was like, "Ah, I wish we would have gotten that Spider-Man photo, with Tobey Maguire, but I'm open to it. And I just thought it was kind of lame. It felt like they were retreading a lot of that origin story and the Tobey Maguire version. I mean, there's even like tons of just almost verbatim lines. That surprised me. So at the time, didn't love it. But I do remember distinctly, For whatever reason, I thought they were going to nail it with two. Like, I remember all the news coming out. I remember being stoked when they announced Dane DeHaan was going to play Harry Osborne. I was like, that sounds like really good casting. And then I saw it at Drive-In, and it was the only time I saw it. And I was just like, it was the weird combination of bored, confused. And even though there was so many things happening on screen, I was like, why do I not care about any of this? Um, Never saw it again. And watching it this time, I guess I'm also kind of with both of you because Austin kind of nailed it. The best part of this movie is Andrew Garfield as Spider-Man, his relationship with Gwen, and that's kind of it. I mean, there's other positives, sure, but I think when your main characters are carrying that much on their backs, it does go a long way, because we're watching them for so much of the movie. Where it gets, you know, kind of iffy is the story itself. eh, They throw a lot in there, a lot of subplots with his parents that are just like, Man, none of this amounts to anything. And then the villains, I definitely agree with. Lots of potential, but they kind of squandered it. Overall, though, definitely like these movies a lot better this time. And my hot take, I think Amazing Spider-Man 2 is better than Amazing Spider-Man 1. I agree. I,
1: I got to say, I thought it was really good this time around. I i actually did. I know you said they retread a lot of this stuff from uh, the Raimi films in Spider-Man 1. I like the subtle changes they made to the story, though. And that was actually kind of what sucked me in with Amazing Spider-Man 1. Mm -hmm. Um, something else I know we're going to roll the music. Something else I want to call out is the comedy in these movies from Andrew Garfield. I thought it was great. I really like how his Spider-Man is like quippy and like has a lot of one-liners and like plays around with his web shooting. Like all that, I think is so funny in these movies. They were definitely, definitely trying to build their own little spiny universe with these movies. You can really tell what they were building towards in Spider-Man 2. So I guess we'll have to decide by the end of this episode, did we want the Andrew Garfield Spider-Verse? Did we want it? Did we want to see the weird guy in the hat come back? I don't know. Maybe.
0: All right. Let's go ahead and get into it. First and foremost, we've already mentioned some of the main players, but let's make sure we run down everybody. Austin and Keith, hit me up with the cast and crew. And I got to say, the crew side on this is... Insane the amount of people they had work on this. And I don't even know why. We didn't really get, (laughs) you wouldn't tell
1: from watching it. It's a lot. It's a lot. So bear with me here. But of course, Amazing Spider Man 1 and 2 is directed by Mark Webb, who famously made his jump from his indie directorial debut, 500 Days of Summer, to the blockbuster Amazing Spider Man franchise. The first film was written by James Vanderbilt, Alvin Sargent, and Steve Cloves, who were then replaced by Alex Kurtzman, Robert Orchie, and Jeff Pinkler for the sequel. Vanderbilt is known for Zodiac, Sargent worked on the Raimi films, and Cloves worked on the Harry Potter franchise. Later, Kurtzman and Orchie who came on for the sequels are known for Star Trek and Transformers. And our movie score for the first film is composed by James Horner. You may know him from Braveheart, Apollo 13, and The Mask of Zorro. He was then replaced in the sequel by Hans Zimmer, Pharrell Williams, Johnny Marr, Mark Einzinger, Junkie XL, Steve Mazzarno, and Andrew Kwasinski. And of course, based on the characters by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko starting in the early 1960s.
2: I'm kind of confused about the movie score, that list you just put out. So did they count regular songs that are thrown into a movie
1: as a score? No, I think what it is, is like Hans Zimmer and Junkie XL wrote like the actual score that you hear for some of the themes. And then they had all these other artists. Like, they have the rights to their songs to play in the movie.
0: I don't know. Because I, I feel like usually when we talk about score, we're not talking about the soundtracks. So whenever you hear, for you, Like, that's not yeah, any that's of what these I'm confused guys. About, like, is it
2: the score or is it a soundtrack? I think like, they're
0: talking about the score. Like, Hans Zimmer led it, like Austin said. And then the rest of these guys just, like, made contributions. Like, oh, I know okay. the electro theme stood out. The one that had, like, the kind of, like, bass behind it with all, like, the... the like weird like he's lying to you. (laughs) Don't trust or whatever they were doing. So I don't know. For some reason they had like a bunch of people work on the score. I don't know.
1: And since we're here, Matt, I mean you and I were talking briefly beforehand, but what did you guys think about the soundtrack for these films? Because Mark Webb coming from Five Hundred Days of Summer, he has a good soundtrack in that movie and it seems like he kind of played that into this franchise too. I thought it sounded good,
2: I guess. To be honest, I really didn't pay much attention to the soundtrack this go around. I I guess so it didn't really stand out to me, but it, it wasn't bad. I'm kind of the same. I mean, I like
0: we talked about 500 Days of Summer relatively recently, at least this year. And we did our rom-com bracket and we all were like, oh, we used to love this movie. And now it's kind of creepy and cringy by today's standards. But the soundtrack was pretty killer. Um, So watching this one, I'm kind of with Keith. It like weirdly doesn't stand out, even though Mark Webb is known for that. The one that I like is it's the scene in two where Peter and Gwen meet up again, and they're like, "We're gonna be friends," but we have to have some ground rules. Like, there's like this really awesome song playing by Phosphorescent in the background, so I like that. But yeah, the "For You" song is the only one
1: where I was like, eh, "I just personally don't like that song," so I don't like that scene. But that's really all I remember from the soundtrack. Yeah, interesting. For me, the soundtrack was like a major positive on this rewatch. I really dug it. Um, the one that really stands out to me is just the theme for Electro. I really like that underlying bass, that like heavy metal when he's using his powers. It's it's really cool, I think. Yeah, I like that a lot. Was that junky? Maybe. I don't know. Probably. It seems like his stuff. I bet it yeah. is, actually. I guess
0: as a negative, like the James Horner score, like kind of when you compare it to the Danny Elfman score for the Raimi films, I think that's way more iconic and memorable as opposed to this one. Like there's kind of like the same, like there's lower parts of the music so that that way Like, whenever Captain Stacy is pointing a gun at him and he puts his mask back on, they can have the music rise up. Like, the main theme, I guess you would call it, wasn't really a huge standout to me, so that was one where I was hoping
1: for more. I did like during the fight scenes, though, like the little play on the Spider-Man theme that kind of tweaks throughout. That was cool. Mm -hmm. All right, Keith, give us our cast. We spent a lot of time on the crew this week. All right. Going into our cast, we got Andrew Garfield, of course, as Peter Parker,
2: a.k.a. Spider-Man. Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. Reese Ifans as Dr. Kurt Connors, a.k.a. The Lizard. Jimmy Fox as Max Dillon, a.k.a. Electro; Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborn. Dennis Leary as Captain Stacy. Campbell Scott as Richard Parker. Paul Giamatti as Rhino. Chris Cooper as Norman Osborn. And we also got Martin Sheen as Uncle Ben. And Sally Field as Aunt May. All right, guys, there's the... We already went through the crew, so there's the cast. Any positives, negatives? What you got?
1: I got two positives. I I guess I'll call out the obvious one really quick. And that's just the chemistry between Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. Of course, they started dating after this franchise. So it was real what you're seeing on screen. Um, But my main positive, I I think I got to give it to Martin Sheen as Uncle Ben. I talked about with the Raimi films, how just the Aunt May and Uncle Ben felt like it was from like the 1920s, just their acting and all that. And I really kind of dug Martin Sheen's comedy in the role. I like his relationship with Peter. I really liked how he like understood Peter had been in a fight, whereas Aunt May just thought it was like he's, he fell on a skateboard. Like I liked how they had kind of their own little secret relationship. And I think a lot of that just came from Martin Sheen um, just giving a good performance.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, I guess my positive would have to be Jamie Foxx as Max Dillon Electro. I really remember enjoying his character when I first watched it, uh, when it first came out, and I enjoyed it again on the rewatch. I think he plays like a really cool nerdy kind of smart loser kind of guy. And then when he becomes Electro, it he he plays into it well that he still kind of has those insecurities from his past life, but is now has all this power. And I think he just played it really well. So shout out to Jamie Fox. Nice. Yeah, I definitely
0: agree with Austin's picks. With Keith, I'm excited to talk about Electro later because I definitely have problems with the character, but I also don't know how much I like the performance. So we'll talk about it later. Uh, the one I'd shout out, uh, I really, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I really like Dane DeHaan as Harry Osborne. Is it like better than James Franco's? I don't know. It's certainly different. I just really like the way he kind of plays up. Like we actually get to see him in the business rooms as opposed to like the Franco version, and seeing him kind of play like that scene with Peter, where it's kind of like, oh yeah, we're friends again, but he's still kind of a smug rich asshole. But he can still have fun, and then transition to like the boardroom where he is like giving people shit because. He feels so jaded and hurt by how his dad treated him. So he's like not going to let these people push him around. So I really like that. Also issues with his character. It's not his fault, but the performance I think is pretty sound.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Similarly, how you're excited to talk about Electro. I'm excited to talk about Harry Osborn because Dane DeHaan, I don't know if it's the performance, like you said, with Electro, but something about Harry Osborn did not work for me in these films. Um, It almost feels like that Gotham show, how they like made all the villains younger And Mm. it just kind of feels like they did that with Dane DeHaan. And also, he just looks like he's 16 and he's playing this like 20 year old Harry Osborn. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. All right. Let's go ahead and move on then,
0: guys. We always like talking about fun facts and production nightmares. You guys have a couple interesting
1: ones when it comes to Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2? I do. I do. It's time to bring back (gasps) our favorite casting games. So we all know the rules. I'm going to read off some names as people who are almost cast as Peter Parker or Gwen Stacy, And I just want you to tell me, yes, please, or no, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So I've got the big three here for Peter. These guys were almost cast as Peter Parker. They actually met with Mark Webb. They got so far into the casting process. And that is Jamie Bell. Ooh, I like Jamie mm. Bell. I think I'd go yes, please on that
0: one. I like him. Yeah, I go yes. Give me bill. Anton Yelkin. Ooh, that's another yes. I like Anton Yelkin a lot too. Yeah. Yeah, I think he actually would have played it. I could see him playing it almost the exact same way as Andrew Garfield. Like, I, I could definitely see that being similar.
2: Yes, please. The webs are ready to fire. <laughs>
1: <self>. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, it came down to this actor and oh. Andrew Garfield. And I know you guys are big fans of him. And your love of the solo movie, Alden Enric. Oh, wow. I didn't even know he was like doing stuff that long ago. He, he would have been the unknown. He would have been the unknown casting for the time. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I don't know if I can picture it. I don't know. My brain's so ingrained with him as solo. I can't picture him playing like a more
2: nerdy or guy yeah. solo. He's more like the cocky, confident guy. I'm going to go no. I'm going to go no. Yeah, I guess I'll have to go no as well.
1: All right. And then for Gwen Stacy, we have Lily Collins. Oh, I like her. That's Cinderella, right? Is that right? Uh oh. I don't think that's right, actually. <laughs>
0: I'll go, yes, please. Yeah, I think I can see it just like look wise. I can see that. Yeah. Emma Roberts. Yes, please. That's a yes. That's a yes. Yeah. Kind of like how I said with Anton Yelchin, I could see Emma Roberts. Like, I think she would have played, like, how much we love Emma Stone as Gwen Stacy. I think she could have nailed it too. I could definitely see her doing that.
1: Teresa Palmer.
2: I like Teresa Palmer, but I don't know if I could picture as Gwen Stacy. I'm going to say, I'm going to go with no on Teresa Palmer. I guess I'm being super positive today with the casting.
0: I feel like I could see that too. Yeah, I like Teresa Palmer. I liked her in Hacksaw Ridge with Andrew Garfield. Duh. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. So I could see that because I know their chemistry and I like her as an
1: actress. So I could see her doing that here too. All right. And finally, this actress, it came down to Emma Stone <gasps> or Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. Oh.
0: Huh. Yeah, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, she might be my favorite actress out of anybody you just mentioned there. But it's yeah, it's hard to picture her in this for some reason. I don't know. Yeah, I like her a lot, but I'm, I might go no. I just can't I can't picture it even though she's yeah. a really great actress. I don't I don't uh, know
1: how that would have worked. No for me. Okay. So moving on here, um I know we discussed this briefly last time, but I thought it was worth revisiting with the context of having just watched The Amazing Spider-Man. So Sam Raimi had begun production on Spider-Man 4 and had plans for John Malkovich to play his next villain. However, the crew struggled to create a story they felt comfortable with and Raimi told the studio he could not meet the planned release date of May 6, 2011. So despite the film having already been greenlit and announced to the public, Sony decided they would instead completely reboot the franchise. Only two days after announcing Raimi's departure from the project, the studio announced Mark Webb would begin work on a new Spider-Man franchise. So Spider-Man 4 was supposed to come out on May 6, 2011, and The Amazing Spider-Man released July third, 2012. So they really got production moving quickly on this film.
0: I think by today's standards, I mean, you can't really tell there was like a rush production. Like I said, I don't love the movie. I think it's a little bit boring, mostly because they retread some similar grounds. I don't think the villains
1: are great. But, I mean, I guess they did a good job under those time constraints. Remy has gone on to say that his departure was for the best, as he had not enjoyed working on Spider-Man 3 due to the studio interference, and he never believed in the story they were writing for Spider-Man 4. Mm. Um, And then just two other quick things I found interesting. Uh, During film breaks on this movie, Andrew Garfield would go around New York playing basketball with kids while dressed as Spider-Man. And then also, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Andrew Garfield, in a play in Spider-Man 3, actually wanted Peter to be bisexual. He pitched the idea of Michael B. Jordan playing a male MJ. Um, he was later pressured by the studio to walk those comments back. And to his credit, Garfield refused to apologize. Yeah, I mean, I haven't read anything
0: with like Peter is bisexual, but I mean, I don't,
2: I don't care. Yeah, would have been fine. What would MJ's
0: name? It would be Mary Jane. Still, <laughs> it would be the same weird thing that they do in the MCU, where it's like at the end of Homecoming, Zendaya just goes, "My name's MJ," and it's like, "Oh, but your name's not Mary Jane." No, it's just MJ. (laughs) Michael B. Jordan,
1: though. I think I would really enjoy that. I think that'd be a fun casting.
0: MBJ, Keith. It was meant to
2: be. Oh, shit.
1: All right, Keith. So what you got for The Amazing Spider-Man 2? So
2: speaking of MJ, Shailene Woodley was cast as Mary Jane Watson and even filmed some scenes for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, But her role was cut from the film uh, before the filmmakers felt there was too many characters and wanted to kind of streamline the series. But you can actually see Shailene Woodley for like a second in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, There's like a cafe clip, like a, just like a brief
1: shot. You can kind of see her in the background. It's for the best, I think. It would have been so weird to have Gwen die and then immediately it's like, yep. I'm Mary Jane. We're going to fall in love. Yeah, it wouldn't have worked at all.
0: I mean, whenever you look at the pictures online, I mean, they're very clear because they you actually shot stuff. I mean, she looks great. She like You can totally see her as MJ. looks great with the red hair. Uh, seeing her next to Andrew Garfield looks super cool. But it, yeah, you're right, Austin. While I feel bad that her role got completely cut, and since I never made the third movie, she never got to actually, you know, do it again. It was for the best, because it would have just stunk by the end to watch Gwen die. It would have felt like they just put Mary Jane in there. So it's like, eh, it's okay.
2: He has someone else he yeah. likes. <laughs> like, would have been really weird. Paul Giamatti loved Ugh. the Russian accent that he used for Clearly. Rhino. <laughs> He was co- he was quoting saying he's a Russian mobster. Russians are always good villains. My accent is pretty hammy. It seemed to me like an opportunity to be as over the top hammy as possible. It was really fun.
1: I talked about how hammy I think the Raimi trilogy is with Spider-Man. To me, Paul Giamatti is like the only hammy elements of Amazing Spider-Man One and Two, and he's my he's one of my least favorite parts. I'm glad he only has like two minutes on screen. <laughs> I love Paul Giamatti, but yeah, the choice was terrible. That's not his fault. That's
0: the that's the director's fault for not reining that in. Because you're right, like it doesn't fit at
1: all with the tone.
0: I don't even know if this would have fit in the Raimi movies because it's that hammy.
1: <laughs> but it does not fit here. Did you guys like Paul Giamatti's forehead tattoo for this movie? <laughs> yeah, no his barbed wire tattoo <laughs> that would make me laugh too. <laughs> It is interesting watching Andrew Garfield kind of doing press in the future now because he's talked about how much this franchise was like his dream job. He grew up dressing up as Spider-Man. He loves the character. He feels like he had to try and save these movies, and he did everything he could to keep the studio from interfering. But he said this is actually the franchise that made him realize how much of a business movie making is with all the screen testing and changing the story based on you know critical reception and all that. Um, And then I know we talk about all the time about director's cut and with the studio interfering in these movies so heavily. But Mark Webb has repeatedly come out and said that everything he shot is his movies. Like he he claims that this is all on him. There's no extra footage. There's no like web cut or anything like that. Um, but Andrew Garfield like repeatedly talks about how heartbreaking this franchise is to him to think about. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I've always
0: heard Andrew Garfield say that, but then to hear Mark Webb like, oh, you know, everything I shot. That's kind of how I wanted it to be. So that that's kind of interesting. It Makes me wonder if maybe Andrew Garfield kind of pushed back on a, against like a lot of Mark Webbs direction or insistence i don't know but yeah i feel bad i mean watching my interviews he's clearly unhappy with these movies and i think even more so he's unhappy that fans were unhappy with the movies but you know i think he's a great actor he's had a great career before then and definitely since then and it sounds like he will be back in no way home will that be kind of like closure that he was always looking for or will it be somehow setting him up to do more in the future i think either way i think he will feel better
1: Kind of about playing Spider Man after that movie comes out. I hope so. After after rewatching these movies, I'm even more excited for No Way Home to see him back specifically. I know you're excited for Tobey Maguire. I'm excited for Garfield. I mean, I'm honestly gonna cry. I think in the, the- I mean, the Tobey <laughs> Maguire I'm so
0: nostalgic for. Like, I'm gonna be like crying and fist pumping and cheering. But after watching these, I mean, I'm I'm liking that we're doing these episodes in the lead up because I I'm really excited to see Andrew Garfield now.
1: I'm excited to see Andrew and uh, Tom Holland interact because I, yeah. I feel like they have the same. Like personalities for Peter. It's kind of similar. So I, I'm excited to see those two interact specifically. Yeah.
2: I think it's going to be cool. You think Toby's going to be the awkward one out of the three?
1: I think he's going to look so fucking
2: old. <laughs> well, gonna I, think gonna that, I think they're going to play into that. I think they're going to play into that. Like he's, <laughs> he's kind have like of like a gray beard.
0: <laughs> well, and he's lived like a clearly a long time as Spider Man since then. So they might try and play into like the Jake Johnson Spider Man from Into the Spider Verse, who's much older and kind of a mentor. So maybe they'll do that. I don't know. But also keep in mind, like the high profile villains in No Way Home are Green Goblin, Willem Dafoe, and Alfred Molina's Doc Ock. So I think you'll have a lot to say there.
1: Well, it's also going to be weird seeing Tobey Maguire like swinging in, in the fight scenes because it's going to look gonna so different. A, well, his Peter's going to be in a back brace.
0: <laughs> My back. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> Alright, well before we get into all that like future talk, let's go ahead and break down even more in detail all of our juicy thoughts on The Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. I wanted to open up here, guys, so let's keep it quick because we're going to talk about more detail in a bit, but how is it viewing these movies in 2021? I mean, the first one is already almost 10 years old, and then the second came out in 2014, so was watching it today with a modern lens. Did that make it better? Cuz I know we all like these movies more. Was that just because there's so much time in between the last time we saw them? Or is it because they're just modern movies so watching it with a modern lens they feel kind of different than other superhero movies? I don't know, what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I've got two things here. Um I really appreciated how well the majority of the effects have aged. Particularly the swinging around New York. I think it looks great. Um and the way he moves when he's fighting, I think it looks really cool. Some of the effects like Electro's like static shocks don't look too cool. Um, but for the most part, I, I feel like these movies visually have aged really well. And then also, I was really impressed with how similar Andrew Garfield's like dynamic as Peter feels to the Spider Man PS4 video game. Yeah. Um, I I've, I've really saw a lot of crossover there.
2: Yeah. I guess for me, um, watching this go around, I went into it kind of more unbiased. I would say when I went into theaters to watch it for the first time, you know, I was still coming out of that the Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire, spider mans and I was probably thinking at that time, is, you can't make a reboot. Uh, no one can beat Tobey Maguire, Spider-Man, and all that. So that's probably what I was thinking when I first went into it. But then, you know, now that I'm older and, and watched it uh, this time with a unbiased film or filter, um, I think that's, that kind of helped out a lot. So I was able to appreciate it more.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think that's, I, don't, I couldn't really articulate it, but I think that's exactly probably why I didn't love the first one when we saw it. Because like Austin said earlier, it was, We knew Spider-Man 4 was greenlit. We waited like three years and I was like, oh, they're going to do another Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi movie. Like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. And then they showed off the posters. They did interviews. And then all of a sudden I was like, yeah, never mind. We're not doing it. Here's here's a (laughs) reboot. And then that came out. That reboot comes out a year later. So, of course, you go in with like some bias and seeing the same origin, it forces you to go to like compare it with like the other one. So watching it this many years later without that, you're totally right. I mean, it just lets you enjoy what they put on screen more without having to force yourself to compare it to something else
2: yeah everybody really was going into the theaters like this one's not going to be good you can't beat the Tom Maguire
1: spider-mans well your your personal growth over the last 10 years keith i'm proud of you <laughs> mm,
0: thank you keith thank you uh,
1: <laughs> that's actually
0: <laughs> that's a good natural transition because keith you were just saying i mean like There's no way Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man's ever going to beat Tobey's Spider-Man. Whenever we were saying that at the time, I think we were referencing there's no way this movie is going to be better than those movies. So let's start positive, okay? Let's start positive for Mr. Garfield. Let's talk about it. Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Not as Peter Parker, his Spider-Man. Let's talk about what we liked, what we didn't, and then, of
1: course, compare that to Tobey Maguire's version. I think Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is hands down so much better than Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. I agree with you. His Spider-Man is so much
0: better than Toby's. Peter, interesting conversation, but his Spider-Man, I'm right there with you. It's way better. Way better.
1: Yeah. It, well, it's also interesting, too, because, I mean, we talked about it with the Raimi movies, but he's not in the Spider-Man suit a whole lot. He yeah. spends a lot more of those movies as Peter. Um, so Just the fact that we get more of Andrew as Spider-Man, I think, is a positive. And like I talked about in the intro... I like that Garfield looks like he enjoys being Spider Man. It's like he's almost like a different person when he's dressed up as Spider Man. He's more confident. He's making quips, and he's like you see a lot of his more like uh almost rebelness, like kind of punk rocker aspect to his character. And I feel like that kind of comes out more as he's Spider Man.
0: I have some issues with his Spider Man. It's not his fault. The performance is out of control. It's just so good. I love it. I love the change when it comes to Peter versus Spider Man. The quips are all fun. And seeing him interact with like familiar characters, like we see him interact with people as Peter and then also those same people as Spider-Man, which we don't get a lot of in the other movies. So I really like that. The only thing that I didn't love is I really liked how in the Raimi ones they handled uh, this guy kills Uncle Ben. He immediately goes to chase the guy and he realizes, oh, my God, I kind of played an indirect part in Uncle Ben dying. And the guy like trips and gets scared and falls out the window and dies. And then he's immediately like, OK. What I'm doing is wrong. I have this great power. I have to have great responsibility. In this one, he does kind of come off as like a bully at times. And Captain Stacy even calls him out on it. Like, what are you talking about? This guy is just going after a bunch of similar looking guys. He has a personal vendetta. And that's when Peter realizes, oh, like, I love so much. Like, oh, knives, my greatest weakness. But then <laughs> it gets sinister quick. He webs the guy's mouth, checks for the tattoo and goes, Ugh, this could have been way worse for you. And then, like, clears his nostrils so he can breathe. I'm like, if he had the tattoo, are you gonna let him die? Like, it's a <laughs> little sinister at times, but I think they
1: ride a decent balance, so it doesn't get like overly like weird or anything like that. That's actually something I enjoy about his Spider-Man in this movie is because really the only time that Tobey Maguire abuses his power is when he is Venom. I kind of like that it takes. Andrew's Spider-Man a long time in the first movie to become like the hero that we know and love, Mm -hmm. Um, especially because he still is in high school, like he's still learning how to mature. He's learning how to control his emotions. I really like that for the first half of this movie, his anger over Uncle Ben's death is kind of what's driving his uh, motivation as Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. That's a good point.
0: And then just some fun things like I love in two, especially how like they show the passage of time, like it's so simple, but seeing him in a gas station, he's sick. And he's like wearing the
1: Spider-Man mask, but then he has like a scarf, like a coat and a hat on. He's like, I'm Spider-Man. Like he has a like cold. I, I know we also talked about how in the Raimi movies, we don't really get to see him just being everyday Spider-Man. Yeah. I think that's something they do really well in yep. these films, especially with like the montages here are really good in yeah. both of these movies.
0: Yeah. yeah. Whenever he fixes the kid's wind turbine that the bully's broke and then walks him oh, home. It's awesome. It's a great yep. scene. And then... A real quick moment that I love is whenever they stop Electro for the first time, and he's wearing like the firefighter's hat, and like he's spraying him down. I love it. And then he gives all the firefighters high fives. Like it's like, yeah, they did a good job of showing not only to to do like the people now love Spider-Man, but he loves the people. And it's not like Toby going like, they love me, they really love me. Like he actually like isn't weird about it. He's just like, hey, what's up, guys? Like high fives, all that stuff. Like he knows their names too. Yeah, yeah. Very fun. Very fun. I think that one of the more divisive things about this movie is the depiction of Peter Parker. I don't think people complain about the way Andrew Garfield plays him. The performance, I think, is still fine. But it's the question of the way they wrote this Peter, the way they positioned him in high school. Is he too cool? Is he too... I don't know. So what do you guys
1: think? Like, What do you prefer? What worked for Peter specifically and what didn't? First of all, I like that Andrew Garfield at least somewhat looks like a high schooler. Toby Maguire looks like a 26-year-old man still in <laughs> in high school. And Andrew Garfield was 29 when he made this. So he was older really? than Toby, but he looks way younger. He looks way younger. I we get a lot more of Toby as Peter, I think, in those first 3 movies. The thing that works for me as Andrew Garfield's Peter and it's not a it's not a huge difference from Toby Maguire, but I like that Andrew is a bit more awkward as Peter than Toby is. Like, I know Andrew is a little bit cooler in his high school than Peter Parker was, and for Toby Maguire but his brain, it feels like, it's moving faster than what he can actually articulate to people. Those like subtle things about Andrew Garfield is what I really like as Peter.
2: Hmm, that's an interesting take, Austin. Because I was gonna say Toby is way more awkward than Andrew. I agree. I agree. But I see, but I hear what you're saying. Uh, yeah, Austin. I see what you're saying. Because because Andrew Garfield definitely does have bring the awkwardness as well. But I feel like Toby's like almost like socially like incompetent. <laughs> yeah, like you're not there. <laughs> Well, you said it earlier, Austin. Andrew Garfield does kind of have like a punk rocker kind of yeah.
1: vibe to him. That's my favorite thing. I like I like that he skates. I like his band T shirts. He feels like an outsider in in, yeah. in his high school, and I think that's what they really nailed with him. Yeah, I guess I guess I didn't enjoy the punk rocker thing as much. I mean, I appreciated it. I mean, it didn't
2: bother me, but. Um, but then on the other side, yeah, I think Toby's like almost like socially
1: like disabled sometimes.
2: (laughs) Like that guy just cannot like talk to anybody.
1: Well, neither. I mean, neither can Toby as a person. He's such an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you, Toby. (laughs) Um, but I do what, one thing I do like that Toby
2: does bring is like the, the intellectual part of it and like the nerdiness and the science part of it. I feel like he kind of brings that better than Andrew. Andrew sometimes could be almost too cool for school. Some moments where it didn't. He didn't really feel like a Peter Parker. Yeah, I hear what you're saying there. I like that Andrew is a tinker. I wanted more of that, though. Yeah. One more.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I hear what you guys are both saying. I think what it comes down to is the writing, because I agree. I mean, Toby's Spider-Man. It felt like the director was just like, just play it really awkward and weird. Like you can't talk to anybody, and he was like, okay, I'll I'll try, and then he did that. But the thing is, while I think Andrew's performance as Peter is better, I like the writing in terms of how they position Peter Parker in the Remy films better. I like that he graduates and is having to balance supporting his aunt. He's trying to be with MJ. He's trying to maintain a relationship with Harry. He's trying to not let loose that Norman Osborn is the Green Goblin. He's trying just to have a day job at the Daily Bugle. He's trying to make money. He's trying to pay rent. He's trying to do all these things. He wants to make people happy, whereas... I think ultimately what it comes down to for Andrew, it's never hard for him to be Peter and Spider-Man. Literally, the only thing for him is, should I be with Gwen because I made that promise or not? I'm not saying that's bad. I just personally prefer the rainy version where there is so much more going on in his life that it makes it way more hard for him to make that balance. Whereas here, that's not an issue. He can make the balance apparently very easily. Like they have like a weird reference in two where he's, I guess... Working for the bugle, kind of <laughs> like so I guess he makes money. You definitely don't get the day job. Yeah, the, oh, the only issue for him is should I be with Gwen or not? And I'm having visions of Captain Stacy, so I don't know if I should. And that's really it. So I prefer Andrew's performance as Peter, but I like the Peter Parker in like that they chose for the Remi movies, if that makes sense. But Austin, my favorite thing you said is there's a real, really hard thing to do acting wise, I feel like, where it's very natural watching Andrew Garfield like struggle to finish sentences. Like there is a confidence to him, which I know people have a problem with for Peter. But like whenever he first tries to ask Gwen out, and he's like, "Well, we could do that thing, or we could do something else." Like it's like that's a really hard thing to act, and that feels very natural. So he does have like a baseline confidence, but when it comes to like talking with women or talking with people, like he does still struggle. So it, there is kind of like a naturalness to it. I feel like
1: I think there's a relatability thing too about. Andrew Garfield's Peter, where it's like you can kind of relate to his awkwardness in high school. Just I feel like anybody can latch on to that. I do agree with you though that he doesn't have the balancing issues of being Spider-Man and Peter Parker that Tobey Maguire's does. I think the thing that works for me there though is that Tobey Maguire trying to balance everything, it really does not seem like he enjoys being Spider-Man. Yeah. And Andrew Garfield being able to balance everything, it seems like he's having more fun being Spider-Man, which works for me. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Actually. Um, OK,
0: Yeah. So we kind of we've talked about Gwen a little bit. So how about we talk about how we feel about the relationships? I feel like in a lot of superhero movies, those are the core conversation. So I guess what did we think detail wise about Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy? And then how does that maybe compare to the Toby and Kirsten Dunst relationship?
2: Yeah, the Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker relationship is a lot easier to watch than the Toby <laughs> yeah. McGuire and Mary Jane yeah. <laughs> relationship in same Raimi's. Like I said, Toby is just so awkward and cringy oh, sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, what was the poem thing? Oh, oh God. my God. The poem. He upon her. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> But then at some points I did get kind of like weirded out with the Gwen Stacy thing too, where like they were almost like too perfect in a way, like they were just like too. I didn't like when she was like comparing him to
0: her father. <laughs> She's like, you know what's weird about this is my dad. He puts on the badge and he goes out, and I never knew if he would come home. You're kind of like that. I wish Andrew would have been like, don't compare
1: me to your dad. <laughs> you creep. <laughs> I think the biggest point that we disagreed with the Raimi episode was I never felt like they had an organic way for MJ to be involved in the story for Tobey Maguire. Yeah, I feel like here by having Gwen working at Oscorp, having her dad be the chief of police, I feel like she's just more naturally fits into the Peter Parker story in these movies. And like I said, I mean, Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone's chemistry is fantastic in these it's films. So, good. so for me, the, the relationship between Peter Parker and Gwen worked a lot more than Peter and MJ and Tobey Maguire's. Yeah, I think it's also because,
0: well, Gwen, maybe it's because it's Emma Stone. So like you kind of assume she'll be the popular girl, but she's really not like she's actually kind of just as awkward as him, like watching them have that conversation about like making plans for dinner. It's like, oh, here's my apartment. I can't believe I forgot that. Like, I mean, they're both really awkward and smart people, so it makes more sense. It's totally obvious whenever you watch this movie that Gwen Stacy was Peter Parker's first love in the comics, and then she dies. And then him being with MJ in the future, who's a popular girl, like there's a bit more like history and experience there. Whereas when you just watch Toby interact with Kirsten Dunst, I mean, he's just this really inept person. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, he, it's very hard for him socially, but MJ is like the most popular girl in school. And while I always and I still stand by, I think Kirsten Dunst and Toby McGuire had really good chemistry the characters themselves, it never made a whole lot of sense why she loved him back. Um, it makes sense why he loves her and why she loves Spider-Man, but why she all of a sudden loves Peter was kinda like, why? You know? So what that now that never worked there. And this is just way more natural.
1: Did you guys like how early on Gwen finds out Peter Parker is Spider-Man? Yeah. I like that a lot. That felt so high school. It felt so like
0: he he immediately on the on their first date he like has he's like, i have to tell you something
2: <laughs> and then she yeah. finds out i like that yeah vibe. i'm glad we didn't wait to the second movie for that to happen
1: i also like that there really wasn't almost like an ultimatum in this relationship like they both want to be together and gwen doesn't want him to stop being peter parker or be more available for her she just wants him to really buy into their relationship whereas with Tobey Maguire and Kristen Dunst, their dynamic was more so like, you can be Spider-Man, but you have to have enough time for me as well. Maybe that's why the high school stuff works better. Because
0: there are a lot of things where it's like, I mean, with his dying breath, Captain Stacy is like, look, man, I know you love my daughter. She loves you. And I've kind of come around. I like Spider-Man. I like what you're doing, but you can't bring her into it. You got to promise me. It gets weird later where it's like, she refuses to understand his point but then he also won't leave her alone so it's like none neither of them can move on they just keep getting back together and like they have great chemistry but it's just awkward and it's weird like why they keep pushing it but it does kind of work because they're so young whereas i feel like in the raimi movies they want us to believe that they're older so i do think the problems that arise from their relationship in three especially with mj like Like, yeah, I I like that you're Spider-Man, too. I like that. But like you're my problem is that you have changed because of being Spider-Man. Like your ego is kind of out of control and you're not seeing my point of view on anything. Like you're just like every time I have a problem, you're like, oh, it's fine. you be happy. You know, when I'm when I'm struggling as Spider-Man, it's like I don't care about that. So I think it worked in those movies. and I think it works in this movie. It's just it's different. I think because they play them younger, it kind of. You can accept the flaws in their logic, if that makes sense. Like, neither of them can understand each other's point
1: of view, but it's because they're so young. I also did like that, Andrew and Emma Stone, neither one of them try to start relationships with other people. Yeah. And they don't try to, like, make the other person jealous or, like, there's none of that dumb stuff, which I appreciate. Well, thank, thank God they cut MJ out. Again, I feel
0: bad for and Woodley, but if they had left that in, that would have been so weird. <laughs> like, that would have been really awkward. <laughs> All right, guys. So I wanted to make sure we made time here because whenever we talk about the Tobey Maguire franchise, whenever we do the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, we kind of just talk about things as a whole. But I want to make sure we separate things a little bit for a brief period of time here. The Amazing Spider-Man 1. I just want a quick little review of that. Like not talking about anything in two, just this movie by itself. What did we think about this? What are the standouts? What are the negatives? Give me a quick little review of this movie.
1: Standout for me, of course is Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone. I like his Spider-Man. I like his Peter. I like their relationship. I like the subtle changes they did to the origin story. Thing that doesn't work for me is the lizard. Mm. Takes a pretty major downhill turn, I feel like, when he becomes the main focus of the third act. I'm kind of with you, Austin. Um, Yeah, I did like the the little changes they made in the origin as well.
2: Um, I like Martin Sheen and Sally Field. One thing that did kind of I don't know if it bothered me now, and I think now that it's sitting, I don't, and that you guys kind of talked about it, I'm not minding it as much. But I did kind of take a bit for him to become Spider-Man in, in Amazing Spider-Man one. I was because I think it got like an almost it's an like hour an into hour. the movie. I think it's like about yeah. And I was hour. like, damn, he's we still had not even seen the Spider-Man costume yet. He does get the powers relatively early, though. Yeah. Just watching that one scene where he's like skating around on a skateboard, and I was like, "Ugh, what's going Cold, on?" Cold plays playing
0: for some reason. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, "Why was that?" In there? I was like, "What is it?
2: Was this Spider-Man <laughs> shit?" And <laughs> then he finally gets to Cosmo. Like, all right, cool. And then I then I started started picking up for me after that. And then going to the lizard, like you said, Austin. I liked Kurt Connors, and I liked the whole how he becomes a lizard, but but then his intentions kind of changed dramatically later on, where it didn't make any sense. Yeah. Um. I like the movie
0: overall. I think I have some weird like issues when it comes to the origin. Like Uncle Ben's death is so goofy in this movie.
1: Oh, I feel like it's pretty organic. Really? Yeah, he's out looking for Peter, runs into a mugger, gets shot. I don't know. Just to, like tries to run for the gun to help other people. It's a lot. It's a lot more organic than Peter being in a weird boxing match and Uncle Ben shows up and gets shot by the robber. Well, I guess my thing is I like that we never saw it.
0: I like that we see Peter try and get money in the Raimi movies, and then he gets gypped for some reason, and then like he watches this robbery happen, and because he's still new to this and he's more powerful, he lets the guy go, and then it just cuts to him outside, and then it turns out that guy killed Uncle Ben while trying to carjack him. I like that. Here, it's weird that like it's this weird, (laughs) it's a really weird scene where Peter goes to buy chocolate milk because I guess he's annoyed at his aunt and uncle, and then he tries to take two cents (laughs) from the thing, and the guy's like, you can't do that, and he's like, whoa. Why? Like he looks drunk. He's like, Well why, why can't I? And it's like because you can't. <laughs> That's not a thing. <laughs> and then he leaves and then the guy throws him the milk. And then they do the exact same line or like the the clerk runs out and he's like, Hey man, go stop him. And he's like, Not my policy. Just like Rainey's not my problem. Um and then just watching the guy drop the gun and Martin Sheen, like as Uncle Ben is just like the guy wasn't gonna hurt anybody. Like I under like call the cops or something. And the way he just like the gun falls out and it cuts them like <laughs> he just like dives for it. It's like careful, you old man. And then he dies in the process. So I I think it is organic. Like he said, he's looking for Peter. But I just thought like a little bit of it was like why is this even happening? Like I don't want to see it. Just have him die off screen or something. I don't know. Overall, I think like the first part of the movie is really engaging. And I was watching it for the first time and I was like, wow, I gotta say, I'm really liking this so much more. Why did I not like this movie when I first saw it? And you guys nailed it. It's it's the lizard. It's when the motivation changes because we talked a little bit about how watching Peter and Norman Osborn in the original, they briefly talk and then he becomes Green Goblin, right? Same thing in Spider Man 2. He briefly talks with Doc Ock, a really fun scene, and then he becomes crazy. He becomes Doc Ock. I like how in this one, there is a bit more of like a relationship that develops between Peter Parker and Kurt Connors. And I like that Reese Eifens plays Kirk Connors as a really cold scientist, but he still is like kind of like there is some excitement. Like he's excited to meet Richard Parker's son. Like I always think of this scene whenever he tries to uh after they successfully find the cure, and then he injects the mouse and he's like, oh careful I don't want to prick you. We're not starting human trials till next week. And then Peter's kind of like, whoa. And then like he kind of just like smiles at him a little bit obviously just making a dumb joke it's like oh that's cool they have more of a relationship develop so i was really excited to see oh wow it's gonna mean so much when spider-man has to fight the lizard because they have a relationship
1: and then no just not really the case it doesn't it doesn't really mean anything for peter parker either no it doesn't seem like it affects him too and it should you would think it would but it doesn't
0: i feel like it would have been enough to just have kirk connors try and do human trials on himself turn into this monster that can't control his actions. Like, that would have been enough. And then Spider-Man has to stop him. But instead, they do this weird thing where they do, like, the Willem Dafoe Green Goblin, where he has voices in his head, like, trying to convince him, like, to, you gotta stop Spider-Man. He's like, no, I don't want to. And he's like, you have to kill Peter Parker. No, I don't want to. (laughs) It's like, okay, why is that happening? And then, of course, the most infamous example is, like, he goes from wanting to help people that, like, have lost limbs or whatever. Too. I'm going to turn everybody in New York into a lizard because then evolution will move <laughs> so on. So dumb. And it's like, yeah. whoa, that's a leap, brother. <laughs> that's
1: weird. Uh, so that's when the movie kind of loses me towards the end. Yep. I don't like that he becomes more animalistic too. Like yeah. it's so weird that because he's been a human his whole life, and now mm-hmm. he just because he's a lizard, he's growling and like hissing at people. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? What <laughs> have you ever done that in your life? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like a
0: pretty huge Spider-Man moment. I remember when I first saw this, I was like, "Oh, this feels like such a rabby moment. I'm loving this." And that's whenever Captain Stacy comes around, you know, to the idea of Spider-Man, and with his dying wish, makes him promise to leave Gwen out of it. Would you guys think of that moment, and then kind of the epilogue after that?
1: It is a weird ending line to end on. Those are the hardest promises to keep, or something like that's that. That's creepy. That's creepy. It's
0: like, whoa, <laughs> dude. <laughs> that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> It's his dying wish, <laughs> and Peter's response is, I'm breaking those promises, are the best kind. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> he's rolling over in his grave right now. So now, my friends, we are in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Let's do the same thing. Let's do our quick little review of this one. Don't need to talk about the first one. Don't need to talk about the future.
2: What did we think of this movie as a contained piece? Uh, I'll start us off. So I really liked the opening with Peter's parents on the plane. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. I'm really And I'm really interested in in that story with why his parents left. Going into Max Dillon Electro, I know you guys are a little bit lower on him than I am. I enjoy Jimmy Fox. as I'm, I don't think it was an outstanding performance, but I did like the character, though. The ending we already touched on. A few flaws here and there, but... Overall, um, I definitely liked it, the second one better than the first. I just felt more entertained. I liked the introduction of Harry as well. Um, so that's where I'm at.
0: Yeah, so real quick before you go, Austin, because I agree with you, Keith, that I was shocked to discover <laughs> that I liked two better than one. Austin, I don't know if you said that. I mean, do you agree with that, or did you like one better than two before you give your thoughts on the second one?
1: I think I like them both equally. Okay. I have fun with both of them. Um, okay. and I think they both have standout moments. Uh, I will say, overall, for 1 and 2, I enjoy these movies immensely more than the Raimi trilogy. All three? Mm. All three. Okay. Wow. I just Those movies feel so dated to me. Sure. And I just can't do it. Yeah, I get that. I think just as
0: movies, I prefer what Spider-Man 1 and 2 did more, but these might go right under that. I'll have to think about it.
1: I'll have to think about it. I I really like Amazing Spider-Man 2. I think the visuals... And that one just get taken up to a whole nother level. They really found cool ways to show Spider-Man action, and it's not like a lot of cuts either. Like they will hold the camera in one pa- in one place, and you'll watch Spider-Man bounce off walls, cut under an enemy, shoot a web, pin somebody to a wall, and so so that like kind of one take action I think looked really cool. Um, for me though, the things that don't work is I'm not super interested in the Richard Parker storyline. And Harry Osborn really doesn't work for me either. So I still think we continue our trend of the villains not being fantastic in these two movies. But all the visuals, the stuff with Peter Parker and Gwen works for me. Um, More Spider-Man content, seeing him become like New York Spider-Man really works for me in this one. And overall, I thought too was a really fun time too. I thought Amazing Spider-Man
0: 2 was undeniably more fun than the first one. I think the first one is... I mean, it's probably without question a better film. It's a cleaner film, um, more straightforward. But I think two isn't that much worse, but because it's so fun, I would probably rank it higher personally. And man, Keith, you nailed it. That opening twenty minutes is just fantastic. It's so good. Even though I don't like Paul Giamatti's rhino, even though in the first movie I didn't like the weird, like Richard Parker and Mary Parker storyline. I was like, What's the point of this? Is this just to be different? I got to say that opening plane sequence was pretty thrilling. It was pretty interesting and it's a cool scene. Yeah, like yeah. super cool. Um and then the way it transitions to the Spider-Man logo is like, oh, is the title going to come up? And then no, it just starts shaking and then like New York comes up and he's falling through the sky and just like swinging. And this is the best place to bring it up because Austin talked about the visuals. I was really disappointed actually in I talked about how I loved like the wide angle swinging in Spider-Man 2. And three, the Raimi version. And watching Amazing Spider-Man 1, I was like, wow, there isn't barely any of it. I didn't even remember that. Like the swinging is kind of limited. A lot of it's off-screen. Like there's like one wide shot where he's holding Gwen. And then of course the crane sequence where he like flies through the city. Um, but not a lot of it. But Amazing Spider-Man 2 more than makes up for it. Watching it's so him, cool. Watching him swing through the city, watching him swing around corners, watching him like web zip and like the way the camera goes under him i'm so glad they got rid of the first like the, the first person perspective shots from the first movie they did it once they did it once but it was fine one, it was, one was all i needed it was yeah. better mm-hmm. um he just looks so cool in action and i i think slow-mo can get overdone but like watching him in that final fight with electro the way like he's like swinging around the generators and it just cuts to slow-mo real quick it always looks cool like the action is just so good I know you said it's overdone. I, for me, I think it's used perfectly. The I slow think, motion. I, no, no, no. I think it's usually overdone. So I was surprised hear yeah, that they do it a lot, but it always looks
1: badass. <laughs> the way the way they sprinkle it in, yeah. is, it's always at the perfect moment. The, the standout one for me is his first fight with Electro when he's down to one web swinger. He oh. has to move up the stands and find a way to keep everybody from touching the metal railings. Yeah,
2: it's so cool. Yeah, I love the way he like free falls in yes. this, in these like whenever he, he like he even forms his body in a way where he's more aerodynamic you can actually feel the air rushing by his ears it's also cool that they made the suit baggier because you can kind of see the suit like move
0: with yeah. the wind
1: as he's falling it's really cool yeah and when he's doing stuff like that he's only doing it to have fun he's doing it cuz he enjoys falling through new york city and then catching himself with a web and swinging back into the air Mm -hmm. it just looks so much it looks like he's having a blast as spider-man and like i said even though i don't like paul giamatti at all as rhino this the chase
0: sequence is still super fun super cool Uh, of course gwen has to call during it so you get the classic like are those sirens no no like you're (laughs) watching him like try and catch all of these like explosive materials they show that he actually is sticky which i do think people forget like uses his foot to like catch like one of the falling things and continues for a while. I think like the positive momentum, watching him come in late to graduation. And <laughs> I love that he shakes the first guy's hand, shakes Gwen's hand, then kisses her. And then he just high fives the last guy and takes his <laughs> diploma. Really it. It's really good. The first moment that the movie goes downhill for me is right after that, because I think the image, I love that they got Dennis Leary to shoot some more scenes, like just a few more scenes where he's a Captain Stacy looking on. I think those are... Pretty simple, but very effective forms of like showing his PTSD and like, shit, am I doing the right thing here? I know I made that promise, but I'm going against it. And he sees that in the first fight, commits to dinner, and then it immediately cuts to the dinner. And he's like, he's like crying for some reason. Like, I feel like they could have had like a more straightforward conversation. He's like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I made this promise. Like, who who would I be? And then she's just like, who does leaving me work out for, Peter? Which I was like, that's a pretty good point. And then he's just like, I can't. And she's like, OK, fuck you. And then they just break up and it's like, okay, that was weird. And then Electro's introduced and then it's weird. And I'm like, oh no, the movie's going downhill. (laughs) But it does do a good job throughout, like picking back up the momentum every time I
1: think it's going to like stay bad for like a long amount of time. I think for all of this movie, I'm on board with Gwen's point of view on everything. And so I I like that she kind of has her own way of looking at things and how she's like, I make my own decisions. You can't do all this stuff based on what my father said. Um, The thing that I think throws the movie off is I like that we introduce Electro. I like that we have the struggle of, should I be with Gwen? Should I not? I think having to also then go back to the Richard Parker storyline really throws off the movie's pacing. Good point. It's really unclear about what he's actually investigating about his father, but we still have to devote like 45 minutes of the movie to that story when it could have been more focused on like fleshing out Electro or getting Harry Osborn more involved. So I think Richard Parker's involvement is really what throws off the movie for me. And it's a shame because, Keith, you
0: talked about how much you love the opening sequence, and I do too. And I remember seeing that in the drive-in, and I was like, oh, my God, I guess they're going to make me care about the Richard Parker storyline. Unfortunately, all of the continued investigation after that scene just isn't interesting. And it amounts to the classic superhero thing of, I had to run away because Norman Osborn is going to make me use my positive research to make biogenetic weapons and it's like oh cool how how does that work but that doesn't matter <laughs> it's just kind of lame
2: what if they would have put that in the first one you think that would yeah have just better? wrap
0: it up all at once and then like he can move on and be peter parker and spider-man like he doesn't have to have that baggage anymore i feel like that would have worked because he's already carrying the, the captain stacy baggage in this one mm. so then they randomly have to seat in these scenes of like oh, I'm sad. I'm looking at my dad's briefcase every time I open the closet and I get sad. It's like, well, just wrap that up last movie. I don't know. <laughs> right? It, got, it gets a little annoying. I think one of the big things people talk about with Amazing Spider-Man 2 is that there are too many villains and they often compare it to Raimi's Spider-Man 3, which people complained about, oh, they had to juggle Sandman, Venom, and then Harry Osborn as the new goblin.
1: It's the same fucking issue in this one. He defeats Electro and Harry Osborne's goblin shows up. But here's the thing. It, it has the almost exact same issue because Sandman
0: was a really compelling villain in Spider-Man 3 that just wasn't given enough screen time. I felt like the exact same thing here, even though I don't like the weird uh, – I feel like the Max Dillon, he's really awkward. And then that develops into a superiority complex because of how Spider-Man treats him, which I think there is something interesting there. Like maybe Spider-Man shouldn't be going around treating people this way because they might take it the wrong way. I think there was something super cool about that. We don't we don't get in superhero movies after that. I was totally on board with him, but then he's just left by the wayside. He's just like locked up in Ravencroft. And then they have Harry Osborn, who I know, Austin, you didn't love him as much, but I really like Data Haunted Harry Osborn. I didn't like that. They had to in the same movie make him the villain. Can you imagine if they had just saved that? It's like Spider-Man 3. I mean, have Harry Osborn maybe even help Peter. He has this back and forth with Spider-Man, like, I hate you. You could save my life and you refuse to do so. But like he tries to help Peter because he finds out he's Spider-Man, but he still helps him or something because he's his friend uh, to defeat Electro and then save the Green Goblin twist for later. Um, It just doesn't work in the same movie. And I was sad because I was like, okay, I'm actually kind of on board with Electro. I didn't like him the first time, but now you've completely just left him in the background for
1: like half the movie. The only thing I did like about Harry Osborn in this movie is his friendship with Peter. That's, yeah. that's one of my favorite scenes that you a get good from Harry Osborn compared to Jay Franco, who's just stealing his girlfriend in all three movies.
0: That's a good point. <laughs> There's never anything weird about that here. Um, it does beg the question in the first amazing Spider-Man, like whenever Peter is spending that much time in Oscorp and talking to Kirk Connors, it never comes up that I guess his best friend as a kid was the son of the founder of Oscorp <laughs> never comes up. <laughs> and then Gwen Apparently doesn't know that. She was like in the broom closet. Why are you here? It's like, oh, I'm seeing Harry. He's dying. And she's like, what? <laughs> like, What are you talking <laughs> about? <laughs> like, so it's kind of goofy. But I do like that. It's like they've come back together after all these years. It works enough. It's pretty clear they subbed
1: out Flash for Harry in this movie. It does feel like that a
0: little bit. Yeah. I did want to get your final thoughts on the like ending of this movie. I know, Keith, you said for you, it's just OK. Uh, what did we think of the whole final fight with Electro? that very kind of surprisingly turns into a final fight against Green Goblin. And then, of course, the infamous comic book accurate death of Gwen Stacy. What do you think of
1: all that? Because a lot happens very quickly. Harry Osborn shows up out of nowhere. You can t- you can definitely tell that that was very forced in there. The death of Gwen, though, man, I forgot how brutal it is. Ugh. Watching her neck snap as she hits the concrete. It's brutal. It's really effective, though. I felt so bad for Peter Parker.
2: And I, say, and I think that's why i say that like the ending was okay because that but maybe it was good maybe it was a good ending uh but i think you're just so i i was so
1: devastated by it I was like damn it why'd they have to do that (laughs) yeah it's really sad I almost think you need to end on the death and then not do all this setup afterwards I think you need to leave a grieving Peter Parker to end this movie and then maybe you have a bit more momentum to go into three yeah because it's a very quick
0: turnaround where he's like grieving and then immediately he listens to our high school speech and he's like I'm gonna be (laughs) Spider-Man
2: it's kind of (laughs) goofy would have been a lot worse if he had met MJ after that though can you imagine (laughs) Shailene Woodley coming out of like the, the crowd Hey, Peter.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I really like the final fight against Electro. It was weird because, like I said, he was so prominent in the beginning and then the ending. But in the second act, it's just he's gone. He's just locked up in that Ravencroft. So it's like, oh, yeah, I guess they do have to fight. (laughs) But I was laughing because I think we get another really bad Green Goblin design here. I think we talked about how bad the armor is for Willem Dafoe here. I like the face. The armor is also weird. And like the performance is just goofy.
1: I hate the way his hair changes too. Yeah, that part's weird.
0: I like the face and how it like he
1: looks like his dad was near the end. That's cool. But the hair is like, what's even happening here? (laughs) I was happy that his mouth wasn't moving below a mesh mask though, like in Willem Dafoe's costume. That's fair. I can't argue there. Um, But I did like the choreography of the fight inside the clock
0: tower. Like how it was was so close quarters. Like they did a good job of like showing that off. And the death of Gwen Stacy is so sad, like, oh, it hits it hits pretty hard. And they could have done it at the end of the first movie. Honestly, they could have just, you know, Gwen dies and then you move on to MJ like you do in the comics. But saving it for this movie after seeing their chemistry was it hits hard. And the fact that for a PG-13 movie, they show her head literally hit at full velocity concrete is is shocking and then watching her nose start bleeding i was like oh my god that's horrifying it's also like his worst fear coming true because he was going against captain stacy and the final vision of captain stacy is so powerful in that scene and he's just staring at him as gwen is like running away and then electro just bursts through like the vision of him is really cool i was like oh man something's really bad (laughs) something bad is about to happen um so good. Um, any final thoughts on just the ending in general, like the epilogue itself, where Rhino is now given his Sinister Six outfit, and he has to come back and be
1: Spider Man and save the kid. And that was the same kid with the wind turbine, right? Thought it was the kid from the car who he said put on the mask; it'll make you brave. Oh, maybe it might have been the wind turbine kid though. It's one of the kids. It's one of them. There's a lot of kids in Spider Man. He saves life. a lot of kids. <laughs> uh, but yeah, did that final
0: scene work for you? Any any thoughts on that at all? Like his re- his big return as Spider Man.
1: Like like I said, I, I think ending on the death would have been a lot more impactful. It would have made the audience sit with it past the credits, which I thought would have been pretty powerful. The fact that it's like Gwen Stacy dies and then 10 minutes later, he's grieved over it and the Sinister Six is here. It feels very shoehorned in there. And it's like, please give us a third movie. Please give us a third movie. I guess it was all
2: right. I don't know. I just don't like Rhino.
1: <laughs> it's bad. It's bad.
2: <laughs> the, design,
0: the design is rough. Yeah. All right, guys. So before we close out, we have to talk about what could have been in our Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi episode. We talked about what Spider-Man 4 was supposed to be. And I was shocked. I'll do some research here. There was way more planned than Spider-Man 3. So here's what we know. So Amazing Spider-Man 3 was to release in 2016. And there was a fourth plan for 2018. And all the writers were going to come back. So the series was also going to include spin-off films featuring the Sinister Six and Venom. And Carnage. Well, I'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the director of Cabin in the Woods, Drew Goddard, was going to write and direct the two-part Amazing Spider-Man Sinister Six. So what does that mean? There was going to be an Amazing Spider-Man 3, an Amazing Spider-Man 4, and a separate film, <laughs> the Amazing Spider-Man basically versus the Sinister Six. Uh, Which was going to be a two-part movie. So there was going to be at least four more (laughs) Andrew Garfield movies, which I had no idea. Um, Additionally, uh, Lisa Joy Nolan, who I think worked on Westworld, was hired to write a script for the 2017 female-led film starring Felicity Jones as Felicia Hardy, a.k.a. Black Cat, who she played briefly in Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, she was a secretary, which was a weird choice. She was going to (laughs) be revealed to be Black Cat, I guess, at some point. They were also working on another spinoff based on Spider-Man 2099. However, between December 2013 and the release of The Amazing Spider-Man 2 in May 2014, Garfield and Webb revealed that they were going to be in the third film, but they had no idea about their involvement in a fourth, and Webb actually confirmed that he would not be involved with that. So they were going to do a third one, and that was going to be it. Uh, Following the mixed critical reviews and franchise low box office of The Amazing Spider-Man 2, The future of the franchise was unclear. The Amazing Spider-Man 3 would have included somehow Chris Cooper returning as Norman Osborn and was going to focus on Peter recovering from Gwen Stacy's death. This was delayed
1: to 2018, and The
0: Amazing Spider-Man 4 was moved to an unknown date. I actually read they
1: were planning to freeze Norman Osborn's head, and that's how he was going to come back as Green Goblin. Oh, geez.
0: (laughs) It's just a head (laughs) on
1: top of a glider.
0: (laughs) Um But even though they delayed all these movies, you would think that would have been the nail in the coffin. It was not. So following the infamous 2014 Sony Pictures hack, Emma Stone was revealed to be in talks to return as a resurrected Gwen Stacy in a 2017 female-led Black Cat film and The Amazing Spider-Man 4, wait for it, Austin, as the antagonist Carnage. So Gwen Stacy was going to be revived and then be Carnage. Do you guys think that's the craziest thing? No, it's not, because Sony was further revealed to be in talks to have Sam Raimi return to the franchise to direct a new trilogy for the Tobey McGuire version, but that's not it. He was also going to direct a movie called Spider-Man vs. The Amazing Spider-Man, so a movie about Tobey going up against Andrew Garfield's version. Um, so that was in discussion. Yeah. That was in discussion with Marvel Studios for a long time. Of course, this is about around the time like late 2014 when the idea of submitting Spider-Man to be in the MCU as a cameo for Captain America's Civil War came about. But Marvel was reportedly unhappy with some of the terms of the proposed arrangements and including the film rights staying with Sony, so the talks allegedly ceased in early 2015 that changed a deal between the studios that allows Spider-Man to be in the MC was reached, but that did not include Mark Webb, Andrew Garfield, to McGuire, whatever. So that is what effectively put the nail in the coffin and canceled the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. Um, some other fun things. Sony is, of course, developing their other Spider-Man universe with Venom, its sequel, and the upcoming Morbius and later Craven the Hunter. It is unclear if Tom Holland's Spider-Man will eventually cross over with these. Or if they will reveal that these films take place in Andrew Garfield's universe. And then finally, regardless of anything we just talked about, Jamie Foxx has confirmed he is returning as Electro in Spider-Man No Way Home that comes out next month. It is also heavily rumored that Reese Ifens will return as the Lizard, of course, with the big one being Andrew Garfield coming back as well. So guys, there was way more that I just read there. We knew Amazing Spider-Man 3 was going to happen, but apparently... A lot more. Anything stand out to you?
1: Amazing Spider-Man 3 is something I would have wanted to see, seeing Peter still wrestling with the death of Gwen Stacy, meeting MJ, dealing with the Sinister Six. Beyond that, though, that just sounds like Sony just being Sony and messing everything up. None of of the ideas after Spider-Man 3 sound interesting at all. Why would I want to see Gwen Stacy be carnage? (laughs) Weird. (laughs) That sounds so weird. Why would I want to see Toby and Andrew fight? That's the one for me.
0: I think if they did it like Batman v Superman in a weird way, but just did it better, where they like Sam Rumi directs a movie where the two go up against each other for some reason, but then very quickly. Why would they be fighting? The why is the question. I
1: don't know. Is there a Martha? It would have
0: been cool if they like resolved their issues very quickly. And then like there was like some huge villain that they both teamed up to go up against or something. That could have been cool. It's like a mini franchise. But obviously uh, we're going to get a version of that <laughs> next month. The new movie.
2: Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. That's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. <laughs> a lot. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of more with Austin. I, be, I would have been down to see an amazing Spider-Man three and just to see what kind of villains they'd bring in, whether it would be the Sinister Six or somebody different. But yeah, I don't need two movies on Sinister Six or Gwen Stacy as Carnage. Well, and
0: Keith, two movies on Sinister Six in addition to Spider-Man three and four. <laughs> yeah,
2: that's just too much.
1: I do want I do want to see Felicity Jones as Black Cat though. That would that could have cool. been cool. That would have been cool.
0: I think what it comes down to is. Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3 that Raimi did, 1 was received very well, 2 was received even better, and then 3 was a big drop-off. I think that was a big reason why people were excited for 4, because Sam Raimi was like, well, I want to make up for how we disappointed people. It would have been interesting to see 3 knowing that they could have learned a lot from Amazing Spider-Man 2. Like, how would Mark Webb and Andrew Garfield kind of fix that? And you assume Sony would have been on board. Because that movie didn't make as much money as the first, so they probably would have backed off a little bit and not interfered. Like I guess what we're doing is I wrong. don't know.
1: Sony does not seem like a studio that backs off.
0: Yeah, I don't think in general. But I guess I just would have liked to have seen how the team, whether it be Sony or like Mark Webb, how they would have tried to make a better movie after the reception of two. I mean, we would have gotten it. The only reason is because everything leaked because of the Sony Pictures hack, and then they decided to do a different Spider-Man for the MCU.
1: The thing that really stands out to me there too, Matt, is, is there still a chance that Morbius, Venom, all that, is there still a chance Andrew Garfield comes back for more Spider-Man movies? I think there's a chance. I think um, based
0: on the ending of the new Venom movie, they kind of confirm that Venom is not in the MCU. But in the post credit scene, he kind of like swaps universes somehow. And then he shows up, and, and it sees the Tom Holland Spider-Man. So the implication is his original universe is not the MCU. So I don't know if Andrew Garfield is like, hey, I really like playing Spider-Man in No Way Home. I kind of have like a revitalization to play this character. They could make the play that all these other characters like Morbius, Venom, Kraven the Hunter, they all exist in that amazing Spider-Man universe. And you could come back. It might be a reach, but it's possible.
1: Michael Keaton is in the Morbius trailer, though. True,
0: true. But again, that movie comes out after No Way Home, so maybe there's going to be something where like universes swap. I don't know. We're in for a treat with No Way Home, the way they, the way they make that work. I don't know.
1: Oh, I can't wait to see Andrew. I can't wait I'm to see him. I hope he gets excited. a good amount of screen time. I'm excited for Toby to come back. An old Toby. Ah, <laughs> oh, my back. <laughs> ah, he, just, he just comes in with a cane. Ah. <laughs> I got to say, I, I've always thought Tom Holland is my favorite Spider-Man. But having returned to these movies, Andrew Garfield might be up there. So when we go through Tom Holland's Spider-Man, I'm excited to see how I feel about him versus Andrew Garfield.
0: I think Andrew will remain my favorite Spider-Man. Not the Peter, again, but my favorite Spider-Man. Because as you guys know, as a tease for that episode, I hate that the MCU just made him like a diehard fan of Iron Man. His suit in Homecoming is just an Iron Man suit. It has an AI it talks to him. It does all the webbing for him. Like, I don't like it. So we'll, we'll get to that, though. We'll get to that. But in the meantime, let's do our Arnie's Podcast Awards. So, my friends, what do you want to award out of these two films? Could it be something positive, could it be something negative. What are you feeling passionate about? I'm
2: going to give the Tony Hawk Pro Skater Award to <laughs> Andrew Garfield because he goes through at least three skateboards. Looks like he can skate pretty well when he's skating for like a good 15 minute sequence in Amazing Spider Man 1. Did he do a kickflip? I don't know. I have to go back and watch I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs>
1: I'm going to give the, whoa, that came out of nowhere award, because that's what I said when I saw this scene in the movie. Whenever Emma Stone is walking to her Oxford interview, and out of nowhere, as Peter Parker, he just swings onto the sidewalk and like stumbles into a wall. I was like, whoa, he came out of nowhere. My award is kind of similar and ties into that.
0: My award is for, hey, pay attention, people. Uh, This guy is not just a Spider-Man and he's swinging onto open streets talking to Emma Stone. He also, in Oscorp, is like, hey, Emma Stone, you go down the elevator, I'll distract them, and like uses his webbing on a cart that a person is pushing, and she's just looking down, doesn't see it, spills coffee, uses webbing, does a kick, like, like, kicks somebody. He's like, guys, this is Spider-Man. Hey, hey, that's Spider-Man right there. (laughs) (laughs) If you just paid a little bit more attention, people, to Peter Parker, you would know that he is using webbing constantly in
1: front of you without a suit on. (laughs) I did love in that scene that Gwen Stacy is laughing. As he's tripping all the guards. That was funny. I like that a lot. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you enjoyed
0: this episode and this series, make sure you hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Also, if you wouldn't mind sharing us with a friend, we really would appreciate that to continue to grow the show. Please leave us reviews as well. Even if you don't want to write anything, leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast really does help us out. At The Arnie's is our social, and the TheArnie's.media is the website. We'll be back on Tuesday with a new episode, and we can officially announce Spider-Man No Way Home comes out on December 17th. So expect our retrospective and review episode on Tom Holland's Spider-Man the week before. Should be interesting. I mean, I know I love the Tobey Maguire movies, as does Keith. And on this feeling for Andrew Garfield, (sighs) against my better judgment,
1: really, really liked it. What will we think of Tom Holland? I guess we'll see. I think Tom Holland probably has the best stories in his movies, but I don't know if he's going to be the best Spider-Man. So I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah. And Keith, I know you haven't seen... Have you seen any of the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies or have you only seen him in the MCU films? No, I saw the, I saw the first one. I just haven't seen Far From Home. Interesting. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, well that's when we get to J- Jake Gyllenhaal.
0: who was almost our Spider-Man after Tobey Maguire fell off Sea Biscuit and was like, oh, my back. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Also upcoming in the future, we've got some holiday content. We've got the new Matrix movies, lots of fun stuff coming up. And Keith, if anybody wants to send us any episode ideas, how should they get a hold of us? They can get
2: a hold of us on Instagram at The Arnie's or email us thearniesmedia@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Uh, so send us your favorite movie of 2021. Let us know your thoughts on the Spider-Man films. Which is your favorite and what did you think of Eternals? Anything you say, we'll read on the show and react to it live on our latest episode. That's right. So with that, everybody,
0: have a great rest of your week. We'll see you next time. And keep in mind, if you're going to go to a random skate park, make sure you're playing Coldplay. Hell yeah. Release the Garfield cut.